0: Um, I'm reading from the New International Version just for a little clarity, a couple words, but uh, it's an identical meaning. So here it is. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. All of them. And said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while King Saul was over us, he was the one leading. You led our military campaigns. You, you led our armies in battle. He was the king, but you were the military man. <clears throat> and the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you'll become the ruler. Verse 3. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, The king made a compact with him at Hebron before the Lord. They anointed King David over Israel. He was 30 years old when he became king. He reigned for 40 years. Verse 5, I'll just end here. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years, six months. In Jerusalem... He reigned over all of Israel and Judah 33 years. So, he, he was king, and then he was made a king, and then he was made a king. All right. Um, I've got a little distance away, because I don't want to be thematic, so I'm a little bit of distance away from December, praise God. Uh, I was looking at this statement all through the Christmas season and it keeps bothering me. Uh, You know, as if I need to be reminded, but I got it, I got it, I got it. The songs, you know. Why do we have Christmas? Everything about the season, you know. And all the stuff, you know, my father even makes banners and puts them outside of his house and lights them up with Christmas lights. He's the apostolic Clark Griswold if you don't know. And, uh, and, uh, and, and even on his vehicles he writes things like the reason for the season. <laughs> Jesus. I got that. I don't need to see that anymore. I got that. But as I've been looking at that it kind of kind of thought something different the Lord's given me a little space to preach this today and I preach to you seasoned for a reason okay I'm already feeling good right now I'm feeling good right now I'm coming turn to your neighbor and say he's coming coming for us right now (laughs) yeah 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 alright say something kind and generous to the people around you before you're seated really just say something very pleasant come on when you get down there just give God some praise just put your Bibles on your laps give God some praise he's a, he's a good God no God like our God I'm to do that now with your hands lifted up and I, your voice is open. I worship you today. I give you praise today. Yes, yes. Amen. Uh, I thought it might be good to just do a little review. Uh, before the exam, you know, it's good to go back over your notes. Before the test, you need to look at the book. Monday's coming. Just a thought. Success is always found at the intersection of preparation and opportunity. Opportunity is on its way, but a thousand people have missed it because they were not prepared when it came. To be prepared means that when the chance comes, the door is open that we're ready to meet it. Jesus will even offer an insight as he unveils the parable of an unknown time of the bridegroom. He says there's ten virgins, they're waiting. But at the time of the bridegroom's call, only half of them were ready. The others were unprepared and they had no time to make themselves ready. When I see the possibility of the blessing, the benefit or the gift, I know I have to be prepared to receive it. All good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights. I must prepare myself to receive it. If I'm not prepared to receive it, no matter what comes, I can only hold so many things. Or maybe if I'm unprepared, I receive nothing because I'm not prepared to receive what God is giving. So perhaps a little review. And since we can't read the whole book today, maybe a few considerations from a couple of different men and it'll help us first from the life and lessons of David we've got to we got to hear from David and secondly we need a little advice from a man his name is Vincenzo did you read about him see some of you don't even know whether he's in the Bible or not he could be So a little review. I'll try not to labor here. I'll just go fairly quickly through this. 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed. He's not anointed like we would think though in, in this grand display. He's a shepherd. In fact, David is the youngest son of Jesse. He has many brothers. He tens flocks for his father. He'll spend in fact the majority of his time away from the family. There are nights, days out on the open field. There are many times when he's leading the sheep in and out of different pastures because they're hungry and they're thirsty and his job is to protect them, to lead them, to guide them, to make sure they're fed and protected. He's young at the time. But he's persistent in keeping his father's sheep. David has a sense of obligation. Even though he doesn't seem to have the honor of his brothers. He's obligated. He has good work ethic. He's not respected in his family. Even his own father doesn't consider him worthy enough to be anointed. So when God rejects King Saul... The Lord tells Samuel, the prophet, to go to the house of Jesse and anoint a new king, I will show you. A successor is coming out of the house of Jesse. God said, I'll show you who it is. So the prophet Samuel will do as much under the cloak of Israel's traditional practice. Samuel enters the house of Jesse to make a sacrifice. That was his excuse to be there a very suspicious and deranged King Saul will not look twice at the prophet because the visit entails an animal sacrifice which was common for the high priest to make. Samuel tells Jesse the word of the Lord and Jesse parades seven of his sons from the oldest down before the prophet. And Samuel considers and thinks that Eliab the eldest The obvious choice should be anointed the king. And he's ready to uncover the flask and pour the oil over Eliab. But God refuses the eldest son. Samuel and Jesse confer again. We will bring the next eldest. And then after God rejects that, and then the next. And then they go through the same process seven times and God says no. And finally, Samuel says to Jesse... God has rejected all of your sons. Is there anyone left? And and as if David is an afterthought, yeah, I, I got one more, but he's out in the field. He's out there. I don't think for a minute David doesn't feel that same disrespect and that marginalized feeling. Because he knows his position. He's the eighth son of his father. But they call him and he's running. See him running. David's coming from the field. He looks like a shepherd. He's not presentable. All the other guys have had time to fix themselves up. He's the youngest. His brothers are there. His father. He doesn't look like a king, much less worthy of the anointing oil. But God will speak. And Samuel agrees And obeys and he'll pour that precious oil on the head of a very young David. How wonderful to be anointed. It is unlike any other thing to be anointed. There's nothing like knowing you are anointed. Because when you know you're anointed, even your enemies and the devil cannot dissuade you from the anointing. Few things in this life compare with the call of God on your life. And everyone in here has an anointing on their life. You do not have to be anointed in a specific role to say you're anointed. Every position in the body requires an anointing on their life. You are anointed to do a work for God. The call may be a little different in position, but the body is one. And when there's evidence of that, it's a powerful thing. steals confidence. And the oil will stain David's garments. The fragrance of that oil will live long past the prophet's visitation. He'll bring it back to the field. David has been anointed as the next king of Israel. He's been ushered into the most elite position in all the land. Even among historical figures, a door has been opened to David that few will ever walk through the king. He was appointed, he was commanded, he was anointed. The proof of his position has come from the voice of God through the anointed man of God and resided in the anointing oil. And he's left with the evidence of the anointing. But strange as it may be, and unlike so many who are anointed today and think that the moment of their anointing must also invariably be the moment of their ascension David returns to the same field from where he came this newly anointed king goes back to the same job working with the same smelly sheep in the same place that he was only moments before he's not sitting on a throne holding a scepter He's sitting on a stump holding a staff. He's not commanding an army. He's guiding the most helpless creatures known to man. His dumb sheep. And to think that so many people are ready to do something for God, they feel God, they hear the voice of God, they feel the Spirit of God. There's visitations of the presence, there are confirmations and affirmations, and then nothing. Then nothing. David had to keep the appointment here now, here now, hear this. He had to keep his appointment even when he didn't have the position. I don't have anybody here that's going to help me today. And I wonder how many kings have died in the field because they became discouraged by the process. Yeah. I'm doing a little review here now for you. Because the test is coming. And I'm hoping to help you review because a test is coming in your life. The book has the answers and thankfully it's an open book exam. Watch this now. David's introduced to King Saul. The next little chapter of his life, he's introduced to King Saul as a musician. And that he was. David was a good musician and a songwriter. And we still sing his songs today 3,000 years later. But take from that personal experience, maybe from my own personal experience. Some are called to be kings and play music. And others are called to be musicians and they lead by desire. Two different things. It's easy to be pigeonholed as one thing when there are many other things that you can do. And I will tell you that those who are called to lead in worship, they're called for that. They're anointed for that. They are some of the most precious and prized people in our church. Thank God that we have musicians that are called and anointed to be musicians. They bring us into the presence. That's with a capital P. When I heard Sister Lacey up here singing today, I didn't even really have to look at her. But once she opened up her mouth, I just felt, oh, I feel closer to God. And she pulled back something for me. She pulled the curtains back of Wonder. Anointed, purposed and called musicians, they till up the hard ground of our soul. The incorrigible soil so the seed can find place and the root can take hold. And some are called to be the minstrel so the prophet can put the people in order. Go see Elisha in Second Kings chapter 3. Not now, but when you listen later to the podcast. But just so you know, a worship leader might also be a prophet. His gifting is music, but his calling is prophetic. In fact, when Brother Mooney introduced me to the church 20 years ago, had gotten around the church, I didn't know this till later, that I was a saxophone player. And a couple people were disturbed because they really wanted a pastor and not a saxophone player. As if you can't be a pastor and a saxophone player. Well, no, 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 no. If you're playing a saxophone, you surely can't be preaching. Dear God, he can sing? No. He can play the music? Can, Can he play that? No. We don't want that. We want a preacher. As if. I can do other things. You can do other things. I discovered a man who was a mechanic. He worked on cars. Phenomenal mechanic. Very good. Come to find out. He had his his masters in history and he was also a philosopher. Knew all kinds of things. But you you couldn't get past that because there was grease under his fingernails. I'm sorry, I couldn't get past it. Because caked into his hands, his palms were lines of stuff that just wouldn't come out. It was baked in. He didn't even have to apply grease. Just put his hands all over stuff. (laughs) Uh As if they bring David in, he's a musician. And David enters his palace, he's the harp player. His gifting brought him before royalty and princes and nobility, but he was anointed to be king. He might have been singing, but he was anointed to be king. The king has come, but nobody stood. The king walked in the door, but nobody saw him. The king was anointed, appointed, chosen by God's own voice, by Samuel's hand, own hand, and by the anointing. David had it all except one thing, ladies and gentlemen, one thing. He had no experience. He wasn't seasoned. He had a reason, but he wasn't seasoned. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He wasn't prepared. Nobody wants to hear this. He wasn't mature enough. And to get where God wanted him to be, he had to go through seasoning. David played before Saul. He commanded the spirit world through his hallowed holy music. No one could calm the raging turmoil in King Saul's spirit like David's music. It was a distilling stilling sound that became the escort for peace. Like a butler holding the door for a leading lady. David's harp flooded the room of the potentate with peace and harmony. And yet no one saw him for what he really was. David was a king in waiting, playing music for Saul, the king in dismissal, and nobody knew it. One king entertaining another king one king on his way in another king on his way out two kings two kings in one room is not a good thing go ask the catholic church they got two popes trouble nobody saw him for what he was Look at the next Bible note. Here, turn the next page. David now has come face to face with a daunting foe, Goliath. He's belling out obscenities against the armies of Israel. Goliath, that nine-foot warrior of the Philistines, has instilled fear in the hearts of Israel. and All of Saul's warriors are panic-stricken. David is bringing food from home. Which means that sometimes he's playing music for the king, but most of the time he's back home tending the sheep. The anointing oil is now gone. The fragrance has vanished. His clothes have been washed and changed. He's left with a memory which is never mentioned again by his father or his brothers. No one ever brings it up. David comes to challenge the giant of Philistia and he kills him. He comes in the name of the Lord. He goes to the valley of Elah. He picks up five smooth stones and he launches his, his stone from his well-worn sling. It strikes the head of Goliath. The giant falls like a thud and David runs forward. He unsheathes that massive sword and he cuts the head of the giant off. I don't know if it was one clean swipe or it was many. And the armies on both sides just stood in awe as David holds up that massive head. Of Goliath, (laughs) blood and sinew strewn from it, Goliath's gaping mouth and his his drooping tongue causes the Philistines to run for their life. The armies of Israel now filled courage, and they become the pursuer. It's over in a flash, but David's fame is going to last forever. And what thanks does David get? Call as King Saul rather is jealous. Because the people are happy. He doesn't really share any accolade. And the nation's saved. The army's intact. But King Saul is jealous. He's not happy. See, when you're not happy with God, you're not happy with anybody. Usually when people are unhappy with other people, they're really unhappy with God. They just take it out on anyone they can see. And since you can't see God, you take it out on the nearest person. What thanks does David get? He didn't get anything. In fact... It eats away at King Saul. He learns to despise David. And Saul takes back his pledge of reward. He says, oh, I'm not going to give you my daughter. I'm not going to give you all this stuff. I'll tell you what you do. Go do harm to 100 Philistines. Then I'll give you a reward. It's Saul's hope that David is killed in the challenge. It's Saul's challenge of death. But David succeeds. And Saul relents, which makes it even worse. Everywhere David went, he had success. He was a warrior. He looked like a young man born to fight. Maybe they were all with him. Maybe they weren't. Maybe they all all thought that he was called to be a warrior now. Well he was a we thought he was a musician, but he's really a warrior. He won all the battles. He came home and victory upon victory mounted up. But with each passing triumph, King Saul grew worse. Here's first Samuel 18. It tells it this way Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. How do you like that for leadership? From that moment on, King Saul hated David. Saul was overcome with bitterness and nothing would stop him. I'm going to tell you, if you become bitter, you're over. The only way to get out of bitterness is for you to repent. That's it. Because if you become bitter, you're done. You're through. Nobody can live in bitterness and bring forth any fruit in God you have to repent or you die David served King Saul imagine it he loved him he did whatever he was asked to do in return chapter 19 Saul threw spears David come back and play some music for me David come back into the house David comes in Everything's good for a while but then the king picks up a spear and launches it across the room They lodged in the walls of the palace. But David did not take the spear and throw it back. Instead, he ran and ducked for cover. He was anointed. Yes, he was. But he lacked something. And what he lacked in his younger years, he was learning in the house of the king. The spear became... Alienation, because that's always the next step in the process of a bitter man. Saul alienated David, while all the other generals had a seat, and all the other fighting men had a place, and all the other nobles had had room. David was not invited to the king's table. By 1 Samuel chapter 21, David went from alienation to abandonment. He's been abandoned. He's on his own. None of the men saw him. None of them who saw him fight. Goliath rallied around him. All those nobles that heralded his military prowess forsook him. His own brothers are not mentioned in any of those lonely times. Nobody's there. David gathers up a few men. First 400, then another 200, 600 in all. The people who now follow him are all the men who are in debt. They had nothing left to lose. They had no other place to go. They took, they took him on because he allowed them. And he brought to him a mostly inept group and made them into fighting men. Their only hope of life was that maybe David would become great again. They saw him as the man who once fought Goliath, but they were outcast. Their families had nothing. All they had was the image and leadership of an outcast king. And David then had to had to guard himself because King Saul started chasing him like a dog. A reward on his head. A bloodthirsty crowd now wanted David killed. Bring back the body to Saul. And to hide himself, David went to the city of an enemy. Think of this. He's anointed king. And from that point to this point, now he he hides himself in the enemy's camp. And to save himself, he pretends and acts like he's a madman. The Bible says that he feigned madness. David, the anointed king, by God, by Samuel with the oil, the conqueror, he went to the city of an enemy and he let spittle run down his his beard as if he could not control himself. And he clawed at the wooden doors until the enemy said, yeah, we would kill David, but there's no glory in that. He's just a madman. We'd rather kill him on the open field when he had strength, but now it's like, it's like killing an invalid, an indigent. They let him live because he convinced them that he lost his mind. He's a long way now from the oil of Samuel. The kingdom never looked so far away. And if that wasn't enough, David left there and he ended up living in a cave. He's in a dome in a cave. It's dark and lonely in the cave. He seeks out food from a priest named Abimelech because He's hungry. But a man named Doag, which I like to refer to as a dog. He sees him and he goes to confer with King Saul and he offers an innuendo. And because of that, Abimelech is promptly killed and he never knows, he never knows why he dies. He doesn't have any idea. He just dies of the sword. Men die that day. So many men. Anyone associated with David is thrust through with the sword. They're slaughtered. And I'm leaving out so many other moments because David does good he gathers his men he's protecting his people he he even he even launches an attack against the armies uh, against Israel he his 600 men they all went and while they're in the battle and before they get back to a little town called Ziglag where they had their families and a few of their possessions when they get back another enemy has come and kidnapped their wives and their daughters and their infant sons they took all their belongings got all their stuff and because the men that he led and helped had lost those same 600 in men who were in debt, they wanted to kill David, and they conferred to do it. They had no life without him, but now he's losing everything, and his leadership is very poor. They, they were led by him and lost everything. Yeah. There's something. David had to deal with that. The Bible says he went over and encouraged himself in the Lord. Mm-hmm. He had to courage himself. That's where that song came from. Nobody knows the trouble. I've seen. David didn't get down in the mullet grubs. He went over and encouraged himself. You ever pat yourself on the back? Doing okay. Get up. Look up. Smile. You ever get in the mirror and say, it's time. Nobody's with you, but the Lord's with you. Smile. Courage yourself. You're doing all right. You're doing okay. I know you lost everything, but you're doing okay. You ever talk to yourself like that? I'll tell you how you talk to yourself. You're doing poorly. Nobody loves me. Nobody hates me. You ought to change that tone and talk to yourself. You ain't talking to yourself the right way. You're putting yourself down. You're calling out all your problems. You're calling out all your losses. You're saying, Lord, I led. I'm doing right, but I lost everything. Let me tell you, God's got it all under control. He's trying to season you. There's a reason. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course the Lord helped him recover. They got everything back and now everybody's happy with him again. Never doubted you. All of it riding on the first anointing. He's not a leader of men. He's a he's a bandit among the decrepit. He's not clothed in purple. He's wrapped in caves and small hideouts and eating showbread. He's in camps and among trees. And finally, the men of Judah—finally, the men of Judah—sees him for who he is. They come to their senses and recognize David the same way that King that that saw the Samuel uh, that that the prophet Samuel once recognized David. They saw him now as the king. Finally, there, Judah, David is anointed the second time in Judah. This time as the king of Judah. The men of Judah anointed him. Now he's become the king of Judah. And he spends the next seven years as the king of Judah. While those who are still angry and bitter and entangled by the failed legacy of Saul lick their wounds. They don't want him. Saul has created a tier level of hatred against David. Israel did not accept David, even though Judah has made him their king. It took seven long years before the elders of Israel finally anointed him king over all the land, both Judah and Israel. Years. Some scholars say it was at least 20 years between his first anointing and his second and his third anointing. Three anointings, three flasks of oil. And I ask you, why? The answer was in his hand, almost from the beginning. because. He didn't take Saul's armor when he went out to fight Goliath. David said, I can't wear that armor because I've not proved it. I got my slingshot. I got experience with stones and the slingshot. I can hit a tree from a mile away. I can knock out wolves when they're trying to get the sheep. I've been in the field and I know how to use the slingshot. But I don't know anything about the armor. I got to prove it to wear it. And when he searched for a sword, because he had nothing, and he found it, he found the sword of Goliath, and the high priest gave it to him and said, We don't have any weapons. Oh, yeah, we have one weapon that's the old sword of, of Goliath. He was old enough and now strong enough David was to keep it and to, and, and to wield it because he had proven it. Mm-hmm. God wanted David to be king. God ordained David to be king. God knew the first order of business, he understood. When David finally took control and conquered Jerusalem, that he would seek the Ark of the Covenant. Nobody cared about it. It was the one thing that Saul had never inquired of. Read in your Bible, Saul never inquired after the Ark of the Covenant all the days of his life. Nobody cared about it. David was going to care about it. And God wanted that Ark back, but God had to, he had to season David before David was ready. David was going to be the king over all of Israel he was going to bring the presence back into the city, he was going to face old counselors of Saul and former soldiers of, of wicked king and David was not ready until he was seasoned and I see it in the spirit the power of God rested upon so many people who have gave, given up because they were anointed but they did not go through the process of seizing they thought that it should have been further ahead when God was still working on them Don't lose your appointment. Your position is waiting on your preparation. Okay, okay. Jesus said it like this, this, this is, this, this bothers our American mind. He, he, he said, salt is good, but if the salt has lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men just cast it out. You just tread on it, it becomes gravel. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Salt removes things from the meat. In fact, it removes the water from the meat. And it cures the meat so it won't spoil. But in the days of Jesus, sometimes the salt was exposed to other substances and it lost its intrinsic value. If it didn't stay pure, biblical scholars write, and I quote, and I quote this, Exposure to foreign chemicals caused it to be worthless. Sometimes salt was intentionally adulterated with inferior substances to give it more volume. But in doing so, it lost its unique ability that made up its original benefit. Is going to write to the church of Colossia. He says, This let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. That you may be able to know how you ought to answer every man. <laughs> Lord put this in my spirit, and then He put a man in my life to help me. And now I want to introduce to you Vincenzo. <laughs> Round belly, beautiful white coat. The head waiter controlling all the waiters. Crowds of people coming in at different times. People a little frustrated, hungry. Always smiling. Always trying to find a way. He's maneuvering Vincenzo. He's the cruise boat guy. Bringing him in. People coming in. Some look like they just walked out of a beautiful magazine. Other ones shouldn't have walked out at all. He's treating them all the same. Come in, you look beautiful tonight, in his Italian accent. From the very start, we sat with some people and they, they, they were next to some folks, and, and they said, The key is to, is to let the head waiter know that the, the, the food service is very important. We didn't say anything, but the guy next to me said that. And, and then we made friends with Vincenzo. Ah, paesano, compari. Mangia, mangia, vai di grossa, come at him. What you need? And then we would just kiss each other for a little bit. That's how you do. Don't do that here. but It's not going to work for you. Just He did more than just arrange. Because we thought he was just arranging and managing. He knew about the food. He described it. In fact, he had an answer for all the questions that we had about the food. The cook wasn't back there, but you would have thought Vincenzo was the chef. And one night, we ordered the veal. It was so good. Oh, it was so good. Melt in your mouth with just a little bit of, 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 of breading. Not a whole lot, but it was just perfect. It was just done the right way. It was cooked. We loved it. And as we were getting up leaving, he, Vincenzo says, how was the meal? This is how you talk to him like that. You just put your hand up like that. It was so good. Um, you just kiss your own lips. Tammy doesn't do all that stuff. I just put on a show. <laughs> I acted out. She, she writes the script. She said, Vincenzo, I love the veal. I would love to know how that's done. He said, I can tell you exactly how to make it. He said, it has to be seasoned. That was his first line. It has to be seasoned. And then he describes the process of it being seasoned. See, he says to Tammy, you take the meat, you put down some plastic, you, you put another piece of plastic over the meat, and then you take, you, you take the mallet with the teeth, and you beat it. We came home. Tammy has veal. And I heard something downstairs going boom, boom, boom. I don't know what she was saying under her breath, but beating at me, beating at me. I just love my husband. <laughs> I don't know what she was saying. Thank you, Lord, for my kids. She she is pounding that veal out. She is breaking down the fibers. Because Vincenzo says, if you want to get All the herbs inside of the pores of the meat, you gotta tenderize it. Because if it's not tender, it doesn't take on the attributes of the herbs that you want it to taste like. And you gotta work on it. And then you gotta turn it over and you gotta do that again. And then he said, after you're done with all that, it's still not ready. Then you have to bread it a little bit, put all your put all your good herbs and all your spices on it. Then you put it in the refrigerator to chill overnight. It takes a process of time. So uh, hear me, if you're real hungry, go go through McDonald's today and get you a hamburger that actually has to they, they follow a regulation, so much actual meat in it. And they provide even for you to, to tell all the public, we reserve the right not to have 100%. You can have some foreign substances in it. It'll pass off as a hamburger. And if you think that, 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 that any of the other places are any different, they're not really different. <laughs> if you want the real thing, you got to break down the fibers in the meat because the seasoning begins with the deconstruction of the resistance. Uh. You thought maybe you would be farther ahead, but the problem is you didn't realize God wants you to be seasoned, but the first thing he's got to do after the anointing, he's got to bring you through a process to get you where you need to be. If you're not, the fibers remain hard. I read about it. It's incredible. I read about the pores and the meat open up, the seasoning process. It's incredible. You know, it's the breakdown of the fibers, introduction of the spices. And I see it. We want the authority and the spirit, but we don't want the process. I see people all around here. We want the power, but we reject the seasoned. Uh We want to be used of God. We have an understanding. We want all that, but we like our personal identity. Uh Uh-huh. I'm reading about the food. It's incredible. I never learned so much about food than when I'm on a fast. I investigate food. Every time I fast, I I think about it. And I'm wondering about it. It's like a foreign thing to me. Like someday, I'm going to start eating again. I want to find out what the good stuff is. That might make you hungry, but it just makes me, it it makes me curious. I like to have it good. And the better food is the food that goes through a preparation time. (laughs) See, David was anointed by the prophet. No one compared to Samuel. See, if it was all about Samuel, then David should have been announced right away. If David's placement was based upon the authority and the spirituality of Samuel, then David should have been given a crown and a robe right then. David needed some wisdom he did not have. He needed to handle rejection. He needed to be under a man who was wicked and corrupt and learn how to serve someone who didn't care about him. Few things are going to help you be careful with others, like being treated wrongly yourself. David was anointed, but he was still a shepherd over sheep. Samuel spoke the words, poured out the flask, but when David went back to doing what he was doing, he didn't have any evidence besides the experience. We feel the anointing and think that something's wrong. If we're not moved to a place of authority, God's still working on you, ladies and gentlemen. Don't lose your position while you're waiting on your, while, 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 while you're waiting, don't lose your, don't lose your call while you're waiting on something to open up. You just follow the Lord. He's doing something in you. He's seasoning you. There's a reason for your seasoning. Don't give up too soon. He can't bring you from the field to the throne room because you got to learn how to handle yourself. Problem is, we've not been seasoned. I'm going to tell you, God didn't lose track of you. God didn't lose track of you. He didn't forget about you. The problem is that we have not yet come to the place where God can use us because seasoning takes time and probably a lot longer than you think it should be. No one has a right spirit until they're confronted by a wrong spirit. You weren't born with the right spirit. A right spirit has to be proven. It takes work to have a right attitude. Faith in its full form has to be confronted by doubt before it can really be faith. Otherwise, you don't really know what faith means. You have to be emptied out. No resources. Nothing to fall back on before you can step out on faith. You haven't even been seasoned properly. I've learned about what I need to go through and where I need to be because God had to break me down. Tenderized and softened me. Fibers opened up seasoned with salt. Salt takes out things. The salt has to keep its power. That means it has the ability to help other people. You're the salt of the earth. Paul came back to write that we have to be seasoned with salt. Think about that. That means salt is working on you and you have to give it out to others. I'm not confused. It's giving out what's inside. You put them together. It's the old adage: "You are what you eat." Okay. Take in all the nasty stuff of the world. That's what you're giving out. Taking all the doubt, all the criticism, all the people love to gossip. You're just going to give it right out. You take in salt. You're preserved. You're going to preserve someone else. Salt res- removes things. Salt means that you are evaporated. The water. Is taken out what is left is sustained it's when you have nothing left to lose because you've lost your fleshly identity it's no longer about you as long as it's about you then God can't get the glory and we know if God can't get the glory we cannot get the victory oh I'm preaching humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord he'll lift you up God does the lifting you do the humbling Gideon his odds were a meager were already meager when he had 32,000 men the enemy had hundreds of thousands But when God whittled him down to 300 men armed with pitchers and trumpets and a little bit of fire You know that Gideon had nothing to do with the outcome because God made it impossible for Gideon to get the victory or the glory He couldn't get the glory Seasoned saints are people who have weathered the storms and gave God the glory because they knew it had to be God. Seasoned saints are not carried about with every new thing, every new doctrine. They're here because they are anchored in the Lord and they're not led by all the other things that go on. They are seasoned because they've been broken down and God has invested in them. God would like to empower you. But the question is this. Can he trust you? Hear me? Can he trust you with the victory? The question is not whether or not the Lord wants to bless you. The question is, can you handle the blessing? (laughs) Even Jesus said, it's the master who gave talents to servants, not all, some of them used them. One man did not. He buried it. He wanted them to multiply. But the servant that had one talent, he judged the master hard, and then he judged himself inept. He said, "You're hard, and I'm, and I'm not worthy." So he buried it. And the master came back and said, "Give me, give me the talents. What'd you do?" And, and the one, and the one servant said, "Well, I buried it. I, I, I was afraid. I didn't, I didn't want to mess up. I didn't want to do." And the master says, "Give more to those who can handle what I already gave, and take away from those." who did nothing with what they had. He's ready to give you a blessing, what you need. But I ask you, can he trust you with that? Can he trust that you won't lose your mind and subsequently your soul if, the, if God gives you what you need? You ask for. See, most people are better off with the affliction than they are with a blessing. Because the affliction causes you to cry out to God, seek the Lord, fall on your knees. But the blessing often causes us to fold our hands, seek our own pleasure, amuse about what we did right to deserve it. God would like to trust you with more. But if you can't manage what you have now, he won't put something else in your hands. The Bible says he won't put on us more than we can bear. We always attribute that to trouble. But it might also mean victories and wealth and health and gifts. He wants to pour out gifts, spiritual gifts to the church. But I'm wondering, can we handle a spiritual gift? What if God gave you the gift of prophecy or the word of wisdom? What would you do with that? Until you are rejected and have a little maturity and have some salt in you and you're absent of yourself. God doesn't want to destroy you. He will withhold something from you. Because you're not ready to receive it. You've got to be willing and ready to receive the blessing. I want to get in a position that I can handle the blessing. So I can receive everything that God has to give for me. There's a, there's a reason for this. Seasoned for a reason. And even if you can't understand What's going on in your life hear the word of the Lord today? God is preparing you for an open book exam the final test and the judgment will come out of these books right here The preparation Whatever I'm preparing myself No matter how long it takes. I got to be prepared Because God is going to pour out his blessing on people and his gifts on people. But my problem is I'm resisting because when I get a little something and something's going right, I can easily get lifted up in my spirit. And the one thing that can resist God is my spirit. The one thing that can reject the Holy Spirit is the human spirit. God made it that way. So I would say, you make sure you do whatever you can to humble yourself and to say, Lord, break me and shape me and mold me and use me. And when you are rejected and talked about and put down and you're belittled and you, say, and you know that you've been mistreated or accused, just know David had one anointing. But before he could be the king over all of Israel, he had to go through a little seasoning. He had to have some breakdown. He had to have some things in his life. He had to understand. Hey! Hear me. God wants to put you before people. He wants to use you. He wants to open up you. He wants your mouth to be filled with wisdom and understanding so that you can reach people. But you are struggling in your time because you don't understand the reason for your seasoning it's been a long time yeah how about 25 years go check out go check out Joseph he spent at least 22 years away from his father and away from his brothers but God had to put him through a time of seizing so that when he saw his brothers he was no longer angry with them I'll tell you, when when Jacob finally died and Joseph's brothers came to him, they were afraid. They thought, Dad's dead. And now our brother, who has all this power, is going to kill us. And they came back the second time and fell on their face and said, Oh, Joseph, please be kind now that Dad's gone. And that could have been many, many years. That could have been 30 years from the pit to the palace. And I'll tell you, a man stands up and when he says this, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Don't worry about it. I will tell you what kind of man says that. He's a man who's been beaten down. He's a man who's been turned over. He's a man who's been chilled a little bit. He's a man who's been salt and peppered. He's had some rejection and he's had some pain. And all of that gave him an understanding about God. I'm looking at people right now. God wants to bless you with things you've never seen before. He wants to lead you in places you've never been before. But you've got to do something to yourself and say, I'm willing, Lord. I'm going to humble myself before you, Lord hey the preparation time you can despise the preparation time if you want to but I know what I'm doing right now I know that God is leading me somewhere I'm almost done what what if God wanted to open up something to you about somebody else And give you a dream about someone else in the church. But you got a problem texting and gossiping and talking. He wants to do it, but you can't even handle the information you have right now. In fact, any fresh news, you got to share it. You got a song that goes with don't be a gossiper. That ain't it. Keep working. It's kinda it's kinda like dark. Da What if God wanted to use you in the gifts of miracles? a good thing comes your way you walk around and strut and say look how good I'm this is because I've been faithful I'm going to tell you what God can't use you if you'll get all the glory he'll give you the victory if you'll give him the glory but he's got to trust you with it he wants to trust you Oh, he wants to trust you with finances but you can't be faithful with the money you have now If I had a dollar for every time someone said, if I win the lottery, I'm going to help the church. I'm going to pay it off. I'll let you have all the dollars they spent on the lottery. That'd, that'd help right now. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not, not going to do that. You know why? Because you won't give your, your tithing or your offerings that you have now. No, you won't. You'll be greedy. And you know what you'll do when you get the, when you win, because you won't win. Just want you to know you won't win. You got a better chance of being struck by lightning than winning the lottery. It'd probably help you more than winning the lottery. No, you're not gonna do that. You know what you'll say? The church doesn't need that. They don't need that. The Lord, listen, I know, I know now, because see, I've got God won't bless your finances because He can't trust you with what you have now. And until you figure out how to exercise the talents that you have now, he won't add to you. Because he cares more about your eternity than your present. But I know he would love to bless the church and bless your life. But you've got to say, okay, Lord. <laughs> created in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew within me a right spirit. Help me to change my attitude. Forgive me of my pride. Say it. Forgive me of my pride. I can't live without you, Lord. Every day that I breathe, I'm doing it because you gave me breath. Every day, my life is in you, Lord. Everything that I ever had, I worked for it. But God, you provided the opportunity and the strength for me to get here. I'm preaching to somebody here today that God wants to immensely bless, but you've got to crumble, humble, break yourself before God. I'll just tell you right now, I'm not where I want to be. Don't look up here and say, hey, Pastor, you found it. I have not arrived. I'm looking for a day. I got a picture. Someday I'm going to get there. And powerful things are going to come into my hands. But until I learn how to exercise and with stewardship handle the spiritual gifts of God, I'm not going to get all the things that I've been praying for. here's several churches. Here's what's happening all over several churches. One pastor told me last week, he's a pastor of a, method, of a Lutheran church, and he said, I'm so glad that you're building. He said, because so many churches are failing and falling apart. They're closing doors everywhere. That's what the Lutheran pastor said. I'm so glad that you're building. Here's the problem. Here, here's the problem. People won't come to the house if the church can't love them. If you want a revival, they're not going to come because we won't love them. If you look up here and say, well, Pastor, aren't you supposed to do that? Hold on a second. It's the whole body. I'm just one person. I'm one of many hundreds. You want your sons and your daughters to come back to God? Stop judging all the other kids that are, that are struggling on their way. Then God said, you can handle that. But right now you can't handle it because all you do is judgmentalism and talk about everybody else and you're demeaning everybody else. Yes, they're struggling, but don't count them out. No matter where you see them today, don't count them out because they're righteous men. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. There are going to be people who are going to go to heaven from jail and other people are going to go to hell from church. You want to be blessed? I'll tell you what. You look around and have compassion. David had compassion on people because he knew what it was like not to have anyone love him. He knew what it was like to be rejected and he knew what it was like to be hurt and he knew what it was like to be ignored and he knew what it was like to be abandoned. Hear me, if you've gone through all that seasoning, don't waste your preparation. You're powerful. You're ready. You're ready. You're ready. God knows you're ready. You just got to be seasoned a little bit. Come stand with me now. I'm through. Lift up your hearts and your hands to God. I'm provoking you right now to a good work. I'm asking you to cry out to God and say, Lord, whatever you've got to do in me, change my spirit. Change my heart. Change my disposition, Lord. I want to receive it, Lord. I want to receive all this from you. Restoration and hope and spiritual gifts and blessings from the Lord. We're just going to sing it, but you've got to do more than just recite the lyrics. you got to make it the prayer. So I'm opening up the altars for you to make it a prayer. Oh, Lord, okay. I'm getting the reason now. I don't understand everything, but I know there's a reason for this. And God, you're preparing me so I can minister to people. So I can minister to other people. So I can lay hands on folks. You're helping me with my faith because I've got so much doubt. You're helping me with my purity because I'm struggling so much with evil thoughts. Come on, let the Lord do his work. don't be resistant to the Lord the Lord wants that you got to, the Lord wants to bless you He wants to give you the victory. Just say it right now Lord I'm giving them the glory I'm giving you the glory I'm worshipping your Lord I'm changing my life Yes 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 now with your your heart's open, your mouth's open. Come on, speak to him out of your mouth. Come on, say it, son. Confess that to the Lord. I need you now. Come on, confess. I need you now. You're changing my spirit, Lord. I want, and I will humble myself before you. I know that I can resist you, but I don't want to resist you today. I've heard your word, I'm, I'm receiving your word.